world is in extremely uncertain times from many respects, but one thing is for sure, and that is the national sheep flock in Australia has been steadily lifting, and so too wool production. In this episode, we'll discuss the current state of supply, demand, and the trade of our national natural fibre. So, welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So the Australian Wool Production Forecasting Committee met recently and has estimated the national wool clip this year to be 314 million kilograms. Now that's a lift of 6.5% based on improved seasons and subsequently better weaning rates and wool production per head. There are significant lifts in production across the states of course as brand new chairman of the committee, Stephen Hill explains. Yeah, the breakup across the states, um, Marius, for the, the shorn wool production. Um, in New South Wales, it's the, the largest state, of course, for wool and sheep numbers, is 103.9 million kilos, which is an increase of 4.7%. Victoria, 74.4 million, up 6.2%. South Australia, 53.9 million, or 4.7%. WA, 62.3 million, 10.3%. Tasmania is 10.5 million kilos, up 11.7%. And Queensland, 8.7 million kilos, up 20.8%. A little bit of notable commentary around the states is, I guess, the, the New South Wales and Victoria is nice and steady. They're increased in fleece weights and shorn numbers. WA has returned to normal for its um, interstate transfers and slaughters and starting to re the, rebuild the, the stock nicely. You might remember it was a big thing back when their season wasn't so good of moving um, sheep from west to east. On the Queensland side, they had a pretty patchy season. Um, you know, there's areas from drought to flood. They're, even though they've got the, the greatest increase year on year, um, they've also got the greatest uncertainty. It's, it's quite uniform, I think, um, as people choose to retain older ewes. Um, the good season comes with, um, um, you know, those higher fleece weights, better production, um, better lambing percentages. Um, it's, there, there are some anomalies there, but it's, I, I think it's quite uniform across Australia. Well, I'm sure that the the, uh, the production figures will be well received uh, at the processing end where there's been some concern about the volume of uh, high quality merino wool particularly. But all of these 314 million kilograms have to be sold sooner or later, Stephen. And uh, um, you know more than most about the logistical issues and the demand issues around the world at the moment, um, particularly from China and uh, and, and further outbreaks of, uh, of COVID there. Um, what would you like to say to wool growers around uh, the, the issues the trade has in front of them? Well, the good news is we've, we've, we, we weather the storm and we have issues quite regularly and, and probably getting more frequent in the last, you know, two to five years. But um, every bale seems to get sold um, and used throughout the pipeline. So that's the good side of it. Um, of course, this pandemic has put um, massive pressure on um, supply chains in not only the wool industry, but the, the rest of um, uh, supply chains throughout other businesses around the world. But on the wool side, um, of course, the, um, 
the freight has been has had a big impact. Cost of freight, um, dumping, um, staffing issues um, within mills, within um, the, any part of the industry. Actually, um, obviously, put lots of delays and pressure on things. Um, but I'd say that the the wool industry in general, we've done an amazing job um, since the start of the pandemic to actually keep the auctions going, clearing all the wool for sale each week. Um, and within those those issues, we've still got the wool on the water and to the mills. Um, in saying that, probably the last month or so with these lockdowns, they've been intermittent over the over the journey as well, but these lockdowns are a bit more dramatic at the moment. You would have seen on the news um, in the Shanghai area. The largest wool area in the world with the factories are in Sunjai Gung, which is only an hour or so out of Shanghai. There have been lockdowns there and, and factories closed and um, and the, the people and the staff, some have been locked in the factory, um, some have been locked at home. So that's, um, it seems to be, oh, I won't say it's the, the straw that broke the camel's back, but it's it's something that's really, really brought the, the thing to a real bottleneck now. Um, and the, a big issue with the delays and the bottlenecks throughout the supply chain is finance. From both sides, the exporters only have a you know a limited or a finite working capital base. Um, they try and turn that so many times during the year. If that money's not coming back quickly, which it doesn't in in these sort of situations, the delays in shipping or in the dumping, or even with getting your documents into the bank, because there's even um, you know couriers are even having problems. Um, that just takes that money out of the the industry, or it, it takes a while to come back, and um, you know has a negative impact on the the spot market. So this comes on the back of some pretty healthy demand figures at the start of the year, um, particularly from Europe, I understand, and the US. Demand's good. There's no problem with demand. It's just filling the orders, um, and and you know turning the finance and getting it back into the room to to um you know execute following orders like for instance i hear that there's dumping delays you know well over a month up to six and seven weeks so all that you buy now if you can't ship it basically within a couple of months you can't discount those documents to get your money back um and and so forth so the cycle goes around and so you, you wait. It's not that you, you don't want to buy it or don't want to move it on um, because the demand is there. Um, it's just that it's just not possible. Um, so you wait and that puts some um, negative pressure on the market, which is, which is not quite right. I mean, the market's held up particularly well, especially the fine end, um, but um, I, the market would, would be better if um, we didn't have these, this, the slow pipeline. Yes, and and as you say, the uncertainty around uh, around COVID, uh, particularly in China, and and of course this ongoing and horrific war in um, Ukraine. Um, interestingly, though, looking at the prices of of other commodities and synthetics, particularly, um, you know they've they've sort of lifted quite strongly in the last uh, 
six months or so, 12 months. Um, and wool, particularly fine wool, has been going well. But uh, relative to um, these other commodities and synthetics, it, it, there is a little bit of a lag there. But maybe that's um, very much related to uh, the risk issues that you're mentioning from a finance point of view. Yeah, definitely that's a, a, a large factor. But you're right, we are underperforming compared to, except the fine end, compared to um, competing fibres. Cotton's at, at record levels and those man-made fibres are, are ticking along as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think it's there is a gap there that we need to close. Um, even the, the very coarse end of the clip, um, it's not quite as bad here as it is in New Zealand, but um, that's at um, very low levels um, and doesn't look like there's a recovery in, you know, around the corner for those types of walls. Um, and to be frank, I, I can't explain it, that end of the, the, the clip. Um, the medium merinos, yeah, they should be higher and could be higher. And I think it's, it's really around this logistics side of the thing. Yes, because normally in a, in a market such as this, when the, the fine and super fine end is, uh, is going so well, you see substitution, uh, which hasn't necessarily kicked in through those uh, merino microns and certainly not um, at the broader end, um, uh, the 28 micron plus. Uh, I think uh, some time ago, Peter Ackroyd was saying that a lot of those uh, interior textiles and carpet type wools through COVID, people just haven't been in pubs, haven't been in casinos, uh, haven't been in uh, trains and planes as much and therefore those uh, interior textiles uh, and the contracts for them haven't been issued because they just haven't been worn out. But um, now that uh, most of the world is moving beyond COVID, we're all expecting that to move a little better. Yeah, I've, I've, that makes a lot of sense. There, there will be a bounce back. It's 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 like an, any analyst, the forecast that you're pretty game to um, pick markets and there's just so many external unforeseen factors, but um, that does make a lot of sense. And you mentioned earlier this this terrible war in on the doorstep of Europe um, has just put the uncertainty and people are probably putting off their their buying decisions as well, just, just because you're of of the mood of, of um, the general sentiment going around. But um, yeah, when it does bounce back, you'd ima imagine it would be reasonably aggressive to the upside. And we've seen that enough times in, in the wool market. Now, Stephen, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet, which is uh, a massive influence on the trade is the foreign exchange rate. Uh, how has that uh, affected wool in recent times? Yeah, the FX is, is is a major factor in the business, um, especially since nearly all, most of the wool um, is traded in US dollars, some in Euro, um, the Indians even buy actually in Australian cents. Um, but yes, that is a big factor. Um, in theory, when our dollar is weaker, um, it makes it more attractive. Um, but in actual fact, with a commodity-based currency, and our currency is sort of a barometer on world health. Um, and these days, quite often, when our currency is stronger, the wool market's stronger. So it's it's sort of decoupled from its traditional basis. But um, so at the moment, you know, we've sort of dipped down in the currency again. I think we're just below 72 or something today. Um, so, you know, as, as the currency pushes up, um, you know, contrary to 
some common view, it we, we could see the the numbers increase as well in um, spot wool prices. Righto. So in summary, uh, the wool production forecasting committee has has met, and you've made your debut on there. Uh, the wool production has uh, agreed that it's uh, that it's lifting to uh, 314 million kilograms, up six and a half percent on the back of good seasons and good lambing. Um, and good weaning. Uh, the underlying demand for wool at the other end, where uh, wool is being sold, is has been recovering and has been strong, but uh, a lot of uncertainties remain um, around uh, the ongoing effects in China of COVID and the lockdowns, particularly around Shanghai. And uh, of course, this conflict in the Ukraine, where um, is it is of course on the on the doorstep of Europe, and uh, they are very concerned about it. So still a lot of uncertainties, but some market fundamentals that are quite strong underneath that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good summary, Marius. One thing we did miss in the in the earlier chat on the on the forecast, I didn't mention that the, we've our first preseason forecast for the 22-23 season is 321 million kilos. So that's a, a 2.9% increase on our 314 closing for this year. Um, which just, you know, it's another modest increase to showing the, the current trend to continue. And that's, again, on the back of um, a, an, an increasing um, expected sheep to be shorn of 70.9 million. Yes, really interesting. So the, the flock is, uh, after some time, um, starting to uh, to rebuild, but um, it has taken a long time, isn't it? Like they come come down fast, and it takes a while to rebuild. But yes, I th I think people um, uh, are definitely um, enjoying the the benefits of of especially the merino sheep and um, uh, and choosing that over competing farm um, outputs. Even though the you know you see the the cropping side of the business and some phenomenal numbers for grains, but um, their issue there is um, that's well reported as well as their input costs of of, of fuel, fertilizer, chemical, and so forth. So I don't know how the the, the producers are doing it these days. The numbers and and um, doing your homework, you've got to be quick. Yes, they certainly have an appetite for risk, and uh, therefore, obviously. Um, the role of of sheep and uh, the dual purpose of the merino is uh, is probably as as pertinent as it ever has been in terms of uh, uh, income through good seasons and bad. Stephen Hill, thank you very much for your time. You're a busy man. Um, thanks for your work on the uh, production forecasting committee, and uh, all the best. Thanks, Marius. Stephen Hill, the chairman, the new chairman of the Australian Wool Production Forecasting Committee and a nod to Russell Pattinson, who stepped down from the role after many years. Thank you, Russell. So for more details about the wool forecast, there's a lot of detail at wool.com slash forecasts. So from me, Marius Cumming, thanks for having a yarn. <laughs>